Hello everyone, welcome back to my channel as we are approaching summer. Bear in mind these are recorded in the year 2023 in summer, but they'll actually be released in summer in 2024. So what we're going to do is, it's called The Old Fairy Tale, and that's like the name of the whole book. These are from 1865. So they are very old. An old fairy tale. Once on a time. Or words of power. Recalling many a charmed hour. When nestled in some quiet nook. Clutching the last new fairy book. An introduction. The welcome gift of a grandame kind. Or which, perhaps, more pleasure brought, with my own money proudly bought, over its magic leaves I lent, to all things else, deaf, dumb and blind, in mingled awe and wonderment, devouring each adventure strange, enchanted by each startling change. Sharing the childless queen's concern, this still the stars should prove contrary, as much surprised as she to learn. The fish she rescued was a fairy, and when unwillingly to bed, from the bewitching volume led, with slumber combating in vain, what visions crowded on my brain of palace with countless balls and halls, and golden gates and jasper walls, gardens where all the flowers were gems, ruby roses with emerald stems, fountains that danced in the perfumed air, and bright forms fluttering, fluttering everywhere. Oh, then all would melt and fuse and fade, as heavier down my eyelids weighed, and in a misty moonlit glade, a beauteous face with starry eyes, and streaming air with blossoms wild, crowned as a fairy queen should be, peep through a world of leaves, and smile as might a mother on her child, and tiny sprites in quaintest guise, up through the tangled branches, climb, and leap and swing in elfin glee, and mid their gambles all the while, make merry mops, and nows at me, once on a time, once on a time, once on a time, why even now, with seventy winters on my brow, I feel the power of the spell, and on the peasant pages dwell. With all the fresh and dear delight, they made my boyhood's dream so very bright. So the story begins. Pages that rivally defy, tales which through centuries sweep by, are new as when they first were told, and never, never can be old. Like to the pure and glassy brooks, which have for generations been mirrors of childhood's joyous looks. 
disporting on their margins green, and on from age to age still run, through the same wild and flowery ways, shining as brightly in the sun, and gladdening all who on them gaze. But peace, thou garrulous old man, well nigh a child again, indeed, forbear these memories to scan, and briefly with thy task proceed, the flattening task to be a foil, to the fine pencil of a doyle, once more, then once upon a time, for be it, or in prose, or rhyme. The Abode of the Wicked Fairy A fairy tale should so begin, a king and queen enthroned were seen, a lovely loyal isle within, their crowns to wear without a care, one blessing only they had wanted. To that sea-girdled realm on here, and fate at length their wish had granted. It was a girl, and quite contented. They gazed upon the little maid, no odious leak law prevented, by her the sceptre being swayed, and they had heard of an isle afar, where a queen was vastly popular, and prayed that their child might some day be as good and as kind a queen as she. On their kingdom's coast, in a lonely tower, blackened by time and rent by blast, a fairy of prodigious power, had dwelt, t'was said, for ages, ages past. And lo, upon the sands hard by, she sits and mutters moodily, crouching beneath the pale-like cloak, nursing her crutch as she does a hit, while the carrion crows around her croak, and wonder how long they have still to wait. Up on a sudden she starts and shrieks, my broom directly round to the door, just as today Lady Ballarat speaks. To buttons who tremble her wake before. In a minute she is mounted and scuddling away, over hill, over dale, over lake, over bay, over lawn, over tower, over marsh, over wood, on that very ill wind which blows nobody good. With flambeau and with girandole the palace is ablaze, King, queen, and every courtly soul await the seven phase. All whose addresses they could find invited, as time out of mind. The custom t'was in fairyland, godmothers to the babe to stand, which meant, of course, that each should stand. Thing or other very handsome. E'en in our day, some such reflection may guide sponsored selection. They come, they come, their golden cars make the spangled sky more bright, and they shoot to earth like falling stars on a cloudless autumn night.
ear, porter, page, or chamberlain can pass the welcome word. The seven fairy guests are seated at the festal board. But ah, on that fair picture falls for soon a fearful blot. The dark malicious features of the eighth who had been forgot. It just occurs to me, indeed, here with my story, I proceed that I, perhaps, in order strict, the royal patterns and parents should depict. The queen was young and tall and fair, with eyes a painter loves to study, and had the fashionable hair. Between the flaxen and the ruddy, you might have travelled far to seek, as any courtier would have bettered a silkier peach-blossom cheek. To Rachel, not the least. In the bread, the king was past the middle age and not particularly sage. Corpulent, careless, jovial, fond of innocently, mind gallant. He never went a step beyond, ate, drank, and slept. Twas whispered, snored, right royally and would have roared if anyone had hinted banting. Here at the banquet, him behold, with fairy after fairy flirting, pledging them in his cup of gold, a loving cup he seems asserting, not being in the least aware, that o'er him by the slenderest hair is hanging what the poets please, to call the sword, of domiciles, alas, over how many easy chairs are dangling with daggers by similar hairs. The banquet is over, the baby brought, and the gifts of the godmothers humbly besought. By six they are kindly and promptly bestowed, in the good old-fashioned fairy mode, virtue and beauty, good nature and grace. Talent and taste, which is rarer to find. The seventh has quietly quitted her place and listens unnoticed the hangings behind before they have missed her or any word more said. Out hobbles the spiteful old fairy aforesaid. My young sisters, of all being so liberal, king, they had left an old body, no blessing to bring. And therefore, although from the deed I'm averse, I'll breathe on the sweet little darling a curse. A spindle, she through her hand shall run, and die before she be twenty-one. Up startled the queen with a shriek and a might, have melted a heart of melancholy. The king fell back in his chair of state, with a groan so loud, and a shock so great, that, but for the loyal arms around, he had brought his throne and himself to the ground. An accident, I regret to say, which has happened to the kings in our day. Five maidens of honour fell into fits, Two lords in waiting lost their wits. Through some, to credit the fact, refuse. 
asserting their lordship had none to lose. The halberdiers ceased standing at ease, getting very uneasy about the knees of the guards du corpse. The helmed chief gave way par force to his manly grief and to hide his tears from his steel-clad hands, a visor made of his clasped. The jester is jest, made a vain endeavour, and stood looking over like a fool more than ever. Just at that critical moment, out skipped the seventh fairy, and sweetly smiled. As up to the cradle she lightly tripped, and touched with her wand the sleeping child. Dead not, she cried, the doom you've heard, the last is still the strongest of word. And that word to speak have I, of a wound she shall not die, but under my protection lie in a slumber for a century, when a charming prince shall wake. Wake her, yes, wake her, and his wife with transport make her. How could any words express the gratitude of the king and the queen? The queen and the king, yet if the truth I must confess, gratitude is so rare a thing, either upon or off a throne, that tis in words and words alone. Most people's gratitude is shown. Well, in this case, there was naught they could do. But say they were grateful, most grateful, and who, considering all things, can doubt it was true? None, surely, who see that sovereign stand at his palace gate with his royal hand, as nearly as possible pressed on the part of his part the person which covers his heart. And that is the first part of the old fairy tale. I'm sure you recognise it though, right? You have to recognise it by now. It's a very well-known fairy tale. But it, this is how it was told in um, 1865. It was told very differently. <laughs> Thank you for listening and many blessings. Hello everyone, welcome back to my channel and an old fairy tale. We are now up to departure of the christening party. Oh, the joy, the joy that beams o'er the whole exports of his majesty's ample countenance as he does the best that he can to tend and bend and how Bow farewell to fairy friends. And that old hag, who out of spite, Caused by an unintended slight, Had doomed an innocent to death, With one cold blast of a blighting breath. Look how she glares with impolent wrath, As home she drives in a dragon car, Scaring the urchins out of her path, who consider her equipage singular, 
On her broom she swept to revenge with pleasure, but returns in her sulky now at leisure. Those of our curious readers who peep into old books as well as new may have learned that after this event there was passed an act of Parliament. Oh, yes, which made it a felony to spin with spindles or keep spindles in any dwelling of any sort. And according to the last report, in Fairyland is remembered still as the mustn't spin with spindles bill. Well, seventeen years have swiftly flown. The babe has into girlhood grown. A girlhood such as might have been that of the famed Egyptian queen who's loved to win the Roman cost, a world and counted it well lost. Oh, hers of Troy, whose fatal charms for ten long years kept Greece in arms. I leave the reader to decide, as he may fancy dark or fair. Never would I presume to guide another's taste in matters where the gustibus he might protest clearly. Non disputandum est. Then we move on to In an Idle Hour. What here, dear sir, you must adore. Fancy her that and something more. One fatal morning left alone, and having naught on earth to do, a state of things which oft is known to lead all sorts of mischief to. Rambling the great old building round, in which for safety's sake they kept her, she heard what seemed the faintest sound of singing in some distant chamber, and up a narrow turret stair, there being none to intercept her, through a dark low-browed porch that frowned as though it bade her to beware, she hastily began to clamber, breathless, at length she stood before an old worm-eaten oaken door, which on its creaking hinges swung slowly and heavily to and fro, and bore to the song behind it sung a burden that bonded much deeper woe. T'was a sad and solemnly chanted strain, the piteous wail of a soul in pain, Time was these, Rayla's hopes were bright, and lovers languished in their light. And these dull ears drank deeply in the words that trusting maidens win. Oh, would that fate had been more kind, and I be born both deaf and blind. I had not then been left forlorn, to which that I had ne'er been born. Who could behold that noble face and link it? With a soul so base, who could those honey aid accents hear?
and falsehood in the plead of fear. Come death and close the lids in sleep of eyes that serve me but to weep. Call from the quiet grave for me. I listen with my heart for thee. The singer was a wrinkled crone, whom age and grief had caused to dwindle, till she was naught but skin and bone. And there she sat and made her moan, spinning with an old-fashioned spindle, as in defiance of the art, but quite unconsciously in fact, for blind she couldn't read a word of it, and deaf she never could have heard of it. Ended her song the woman wept, and in her lap the spindle laid. The while with wasted hand she swept, the tears away that slowly strayed. Adown her cheeks, sad caves of care, white as a wild dishevelled hair. The princess, who had never seen such spinning in her life before, and kept in ignorance had been of the strange fate for her that was in store. Lightly the threshold crossed, and bent upon the work a curious eye, then raised the spindle with intent, a skill at twirling it to try. The hour had come at fate's command, the sharp point pierced the maiden's hand. With pain till then quite unacquainted, first she screamed, then she fainted. The instant through the castle rang, Fiendish laughter and a peal of thunder followed with a clang that made the ancient turrets reel. The king and queen and all the court who just arrived upon a visit, hearing the terrible report, had barely time to ask, What is it? When a strange stupor seized on all in chamber, garden, kitchen, even hall. And to her couch by fairy aid, born like a blossom on the air, the lovely maid was gently laid a hundred years to slumber right there. And that is the end of this part of an old fairy tale. As you probably gathered, yes, it's Sleeping Beauty, but not as you know it, quite different and original. Thank you so much for listening and many blessings. Hello everyone, Wisteria here. Welcome back to the joyous old fairy tale where we move into the next part of the beautiful tale. Come and gone a hundred years. Oh, what an age it is to say. Ye who have lived so long appears. It's a ye now more than a day. Oh, time, thou shouldest be counted by, not weeks and months, but joys and fears. Seasons I have known like seconds fly, an hour has seemed a hundred years. 
a hundred winters have shed their snows to be smiled away by as many springs as many summers renewed the rose and once again brown autumn brings his purple clusters his yellow sheaves and is changing to gold the linden leaves once again the hunter's born is heard on the hills at early morn and through the coppice lightly bounds the stag up roused from his ferny bed by the nearer cry of the cruel hounds haughtily tossing his antlered head over the plain like the wind he sweeps into the river broad he keeps bravely breasts a rapid tide rushes up the sedgy side shakes from his flanks a silver flood and is lost in the depths of a pathless wood across the plain and through the stream hound and huntsman had followed followed fast over their heads and wide fowl scream and the falcon into the air is cast the heron a speedy prey may fall but the panting hounds are baffled all the hunter's knife in its sheath may stray or stay that stag will never be brought to bay for most of this cavalcade halting beneath the forest shade patting the neck of his noble roan stood the heir to a foreign throne a royal youth of matchless mien like the princely dane of old of fashion the glass and of form the mould his riding suit of velvet green richly guarded with venice gold through the slashes violet silk of lions drawn with taste and care his supple boots i trow they were of cordovan of the same hue his cap of velvet violet too from which a feather white as milk drooped gracefully in his hair behind or dallied with the wooing wind over his shoulder loosely flung a broad embroidered baldric did oh it did hung with tasselled horn yes and capicier a hunting knife upon his thighs the hilt of a sculpted ivory on which twixt bore a man the strife was carven to the very life in short i may say without fear that take his highness altogether face figure dress from spur to feather a more bewitching cavalier ne a stepped in shoe or in boot leather hither he sailed in quest of sport but never a king and never a court has he heard of since he kept a shore, leapt ashore and the wonders who rules this island o'er Nothing with life, say beast or bird, has hitherto met his eager eye. No rustic tending flock or herd, no traveller plodding the footpath by, no maiden at the cottage door, teaching the woodbine to clamber, clamber o'er. No cottage, and therefore there couldn't be a maiden at its door to see. There reigns a silence, solemn and strange, unbroken save by the bittern's cry.
or the whimper of the dog that rang around the forest hopelessly. The staunchest hound in all the pack has slunk with a howl from the brushwood back. The hardiest hunter in all the train has striven to enter the wood in vain. The stag, they swear, must have a fair they have been to have passed those serried trunks between. They were not so much out as will soon be seen. The prince, who has mounted a hillock, sees over the top of the tallest trees a castle in the distant rear, in battlements grey on a rocky steep, fenced around by that forest drear. The flanking towers and the massive keep of venerable age, they do appear. And suddenly, too, his mind recalls of the Breton nurse, a ballad old, and wonders whether those wood-girt walls the charm of his boyish dreams unfold. The fancy moves him more and more as he murmurs the ancient legend o'er to the melody quaint of the simple rhyme which his cradle has rocked to many a time, long before he the words could scan, and hope is in his heart he might be the man. And as the ballad goes, In the woods there in a tower, Sing a down, sing a down, a downer. In the tower, a lady's bower, sing a down, a downer. In the bower, a maiden fair, sing a down, a downer. Day and night, she slumbers there, sing a down, a downer. None may tread the forest deep, none ascend the castle keep, none may break that maiden sleep, sing a down, a down Well, the wood I pray ye show. Sing a down, a downer, through which Cupid cannot go. Sing a down, a downer, where the castle would about. Sing a down, a downer, strong enough. To keep him out, sing a down, a downer. Love, the destined prince shall guide to the sleeping beauty side with a kiss to wake his bride. Sing a down, a downer. There are twenty verses more or so, but two are enough.
I trout the show. The sort of stuff they sang long ago to an infant hair to a crowner, and which now would never go downer. The prince, however, paused not then, or words or tune to criticise, but shouted to his merry men, not that his men were really merry, in fact they were quite unwise. So kept being thrown out, very. But so twas the fashion them to call, and therefore he shouted, My merry men all, we have lost a stag. But what if here, in this covert, is lodged a dainty deer? Tis a hind, but my heart is fain to follow. If the wood will give me a fair view hollow, Shockingly bad, I must confess, but then in the days of good Queen Bess, that golden age of the English sage, such plays upon words were quite the rage. Then why should critics vent their ear on the puns of Brow, Bernand and Brian? They only do with more decorum what the swan of Avon did before them. The merry men had not a guess of what his royal highness meant, but so harangued could do no less, then gave him full and free consent to follow his own inclinations, as persons in exalted stations will sometimes do without permission. And so they filled him a stirrup cup, and drinking success to his expedition, with hands hooray they cheered him up. The spur he gave to his noble horse, o'er crimson heath and golden gorse, galloped the steed at a pasty charge, nor swerved when he came to the thorny marge of the dark, dense wood, but cleared at a bound. The triple tall cheval de frise, of brambles fencing in all around, and dashed at the nearest rank of trees, as he would have done at the trumpet's sound, gainst a troop of hostile cavalry, would he. <laughs> wonder, oh wonder, they move asunder, and leave to the prince an entrance free, as on he presses and prizes the wood divides, and up the steep ascent he rides, with flushing cheek and beating heart, not seeing who plays an opening part. In this fairy piece, the circumstance, and yet did he upwards cast a glance, he might mark where in the clear blue sky, all light and white as a fleecy cloud, a female form flaunts gracefully, at whose fairy fingers slightest touch, their branches tangled never so much. The gnarled oaks relax their clutch, and towering pines and cedars proud, limes and elves and beeches bow, their lofty heads in homage low, and backward at her bidding go. On either hand, the forest through, forming a stately avenue, the very gales of 
the castle too. And that is the end of the next part of an old fairy tale. And yes, they were really told in rhyme. And they were originally told by song and by rhyme, which is why I love them so much. Thank you for listening and many blessings. Hello everyone, welcome back to an old fairy tale, and an old one it is indeed. So we are now at, he arrives at the castle gate. The drawbridge is down, the castle doors, all open. He hastes from his steed to leap. Stretched on a settle, the warden snores, leaving his wicket itself to keep. He enters the courtyard, against the wall. An aged falconer, hawk on hand, and a gay young courtier, lounging, stand. Apparently, in earnest talk, in the mystery of hawking deep, they might have been but falconer and gay gallant, each and all, at present were very fast asleep. Into the guardroom he passes, lo, the yeomen are sleeping all, all in a row. Good men and true, deny it who will. Under arms they are standing still. Into the cellar a passing peep shows him the butler fallen asleep. Over a hogshead of melchise, plagan and cup, both empty they be. Look at his nose. You can well suppose... He had helped himself to whichever was stronger, till the drowsy spell upon him fell, and he couldn't help himself no longer. In the banquet hall around, the great oak table, some eight or ten, noble lords and gentlemen of the privy council, next he did found. Oh, then... Seated all in slumber sound, nodding over their fruit and wine, just as they might have slept and snored, just as they might have slept and snored, o'er matters of weight at the council board, they had clearly been lucky enough to dine, before the fate they could not avert, for the first time made them I appeen, unconscious of their own desert. He mounts a flight of marble stairs, and in a anteroom discovers a maid of honour taking a nap, and nearer one of a score of lovers. She had been reading what her prayers. The book lay open in her lap. It might have been a missal, and it might not. It matters little at this time what. There are so many books, both great and small, o'er which one is certain asleep to fall, that a charm is more needed now to make the reader of them keep awake. But tis plain enough that the saucy youth was about to snatch a kiss forsooth. She wasn't asleep then, I suspect, for
for a close observer may quite detect. Her hand is raised to weave him away, though a smile on her cheek remains to say she wouldn't frown if he didn't obey. Into the presence chamber there, the king reclines in his great armchair. The queen on his shoulder calmly reposes. Her parrot near her has found a perch and is like their majesties. Feast as a church, the court fool crouched at his master's foot in his motley suit and is bobble mute. Dreams of how many his cap might wear, it placed on the heads of all it fits. Behind him, behind him a page, on the chair back dozes, and proudly in front of the royal pair, the queen's pet pug in a dog's sleep sits, upturning the protest of all pug noses, till the ground has rolled a cup of gold. Dropped by the king in his sore dismay When they suddenly filled his cup of woe With the news of his daughter's fate that day Exactly one hundred years ago But where is she, that matchless fair A fate a prince shall win and wear The beauty born to be his bride For who no longer, no longer can he doubt for whom the mated boughs divide, for whom the portals open wide. Yet, when was love its fear without? Be often when his hopes are highest, so often when the goal is highest. Beguiled, betrayed, deserted, crossed, the deepest, truest, tried the most. His heart but now that wildly beat has almost ceased a pulse to know. His breath he holds his eager feet, seen suddenly to earth to grow. At the end of a corridor, a closely curtained porch before, he stands transfixed as though he were only one human being more, subjected to the fairy spell, and for a century have there remained a sleeping sentinel. Fate will not suffer long a pause. Aside, with trembling hand, he does draw the drapery of cloth of gold that falls in many a gorgeous fold from the rich cornice to the floor and gently touches the gilded door that open in an instant flies, disclosing to an instant dazzled eyes. A chamber filled with roseate light, which from some found mysterious things. Its tender rays upon a bed of silver tissue canopied with a velvet. Yes, velvet has a snowdrift wine, looped up with hands of orient pearl and curtained round with lace so fine. The gossamer might claim the work. Fairies and elves in many rings Throughout it seem to dance and whirl Or in the filmy meshes lurk As guardians of the form divine 
fit jewel for a case so rare, in charmed sleep, recumbent there. O oh, happy prince, happy prince, whom love and fate to favour have their powers allied, by fate impelled with love elate. One bound has brought him to her side. There is a whirring in his ears, as of a thousand tiny wings, an animated now appears. Each elfin fay in all the rings, wrought in those curious fine and rare, which melt at his approach to air, and o'er his head and round the bed, by protecting fairy led, group after group, revolving fly, in joyous wild expectory. He sees, or oh, heeds them not, for one sole subject hath this sight alone. He lifts the long luxuriant tresses that partly veil her check. He takes her hand. His lips on hers he presses. The spell is o'er. She starts. She wakes. Raises to him in sweet surprise Her large and lustrous loving eyes And is it you, my prince? Oh, why? Record his rapturous reply Indeed, who is there at this day Knows what the prince did really say Ian, the first teller of the tale Fate, there, is information fail And can I, then, expect to be to know it any more than he, besides the author always flings on you the burthen and the bother to fancy all the charming things the lovers said to one another. Moreover, by his computation, they talked for hours without cessation. And why the breaking of the spell and all that there and then befell should I in random rhyme rehearse, when England's laurelled bard hath sung. <laughs> With all the power of English verse, and all the charm of English tongue, the rushing back to love or strife, of all that long-pent stream of life, what folly to attempt to rival of that sweet daydream, the revival. No, here, my task I gladly close, no more than pencil claims a pen, and every child the story knows, and all that happened after then. Rather, as free Dorothea leaves, each one according to his mind, or any web his fancy weaves, a meaning to the tale to find. Let me conclude with a translation of Charles Perrault's own Pero. Ration. And it goes just so. Some time for a husband to wait, who is young, handsome, wealthy, and tender, may not be a hardship too great for a maid whom love happy would render. But to be for a century bound, to live single, I fancy the number of beauties, but small would be found, so long who would patiently slumber. To lovers who have time to waste, and minutes to centuries measure, I would hint, 
those who marry in haste may live to repent it at leisure. Yet, so, so gently, onward they press, and on prudence on gallantly tremble. But I haven't the heart, I confess, to urge, urge on them beauty's example. And that is the full story of an old fairy tale. Of course, yes, it's Sleeping Beauty, but it's from 1865, where everything rhymed and had a song. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this very old tale, and many blessings.